I didn't see you here, and I saw these things. I was like, you are here. Okay, super. Thought the rapture happened, but they threw you back. (laughs) Okay. Because it goes with the sermon, um, the text that Joel read in verse 12 of chapter 15 of 1 Kings, it says that he put away the sodomites, male cult prostitutes, out of the land. Well, if you look in chapter 22, you will see the fulfillment of that in verse 46. Uh, And from the land he exterminated the remnant of the sodomites who remained in the days of his father Asa. They dealt with sodomy and rooted it out of the kingdom. Put it away. So the word put away is in my sermon tonight, so that's the only reason I mentioned that. All right, I intend to do something with the book of Colossians and chapter 3 tonight. Now, I know it's not completely fair. You were not in the conference And so when it came time for me to preach this sermon, uh, we had been preaching sermon after sermon after sermon building up to this point. So we bring all this information in a short amount of time all together and then we come to this point. Um, And so you don't have the privilege of hearing all those things that we heard. But I do want to just make a short note. Uh, It's all I can do with our time And the note is this, the things that I learned in proceeding through the conference was in chapter 1 and verses 15 through 20, I learned who Christ is. And I actually preached that section, so it was very fresh on my mind. This is who He is. And so we dwelt on that and really pondered Christ. Uh, Brother Jack preached the next section, and this is what Christ did. This is what he did. This is who he is. This is what he did. Then we saw a section in which Paul is given stewardship. He suffers greatly. goes through a lot of pain and suffering. But he's been given a stewardship. He's been given a ministry. And he's going to be faithful to that ministry. No matter whether the people receive his ministry or not, he's going to be faithful to do his ministry. The specific of that is to give the whole word of God. No matter what the response is, no matter how much he suffers, he's going to do his ministry and be a good steward because that's what God has called him to do. And um, yeah, so there's those things that we looked at, and, um, and all of that in Paul's ministry was wrapped up in this idea of rejoicing in the midst of the suffering and the pain and the difficulty of ministry. All right, and so we looked at all those sections. Then we went through the rest of chapter 2. I'm fast-forwarding very quickly. And then we came to chapter 3. And uh, we might return at the end of this sermon and just read 1 through 4, and that will be our conclusion tonight. And it tells us where to put our minds. And we'll correct a translation in my mind, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, in chapter 3, verse 1, I would translate sense, speaking to the church, It's not conditional. It's going to be a concession that since you have been raised with Christ, because that's your case as a Christian, then this is what you do. 
and we may return to that at the end. Um, but we're going to deal with 5 through 11. So I want to introduce this in a very weird way. Um, I have learned this in life, that when you touch somebody's idol, it usually doesn't go well. I'm not really happy about that, and I know some of you could be upset with some of the things I say, but it, if the shoe doesn't fit, you don't have to wear it. But at least ask yourself this question in regards to what eventually is preached tonight. Instead of attacking me or what is said, maybe you should just ask whether or not it's true. Is this true of me, and do I need to fix it? Is this something that I need to work on? Um, I know I'm a weird bird, and I fly with one wing, and I'm, I'm really strange and all that. That's fine. Say what you will, but is the truth of what's brought forward tonight true? And if it is, then you and God got to work it out. And a lot of reason our church doesn't have a revival, and there's no sense of a lot of urgency of people being saved, there's not a lack of repentance in our church, is because, well, quite frankly, we don't take God seriously enough. And so since we don't take Him seriously enough, uh, there's not a lot of deep spiritual movements within our church. Good church is good. I love our church. Man, this afternoon was a joy. There's a lot of good things. Uh, there's a lot of good things at Ephesus. They just forgot how to love Christ. They had good doctrine, good theology, had order. They had a lot of good things. They just didn't love Christ anymore, not like they ought to. And I, I think we fall into that camp a lot. Let me read the text and let's get started or we're never going to be done. There are three commands. I mean, here's the text, Colossians 3, verse 5. The command is simple. The command is clear. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death what is fleshly. He gives these things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. All of those are in the realm of sexual sin. And then he lists one more, covetness. And he says that covetness, and I think maybe by implication, all of these, the sexual sins and covetness, all together are idolatry. But most specifically and grammatically correct, covetousness is idolatry. And then he tells us a really strong warning. On account of these, sexual sins, covetousness, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God has wrath. The wrath is building. The dam will break. The wrath will come on you the individual, if you don't obey the command. In these, sexual sins, covetousness, verse 7, in these, that's what you used to do. This is, this is past tense. This is how you once walked when you were living in them. This is a look back pre-conversion. And then you get the contrast. But now, ahora, ahorita, right now, You've got to do something. Here's the second command. You must put them all away. And he gives another list that's different. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. All of these sins have something to do with speech. Something to do with speech. Even anger comes out the lips in some type of vulgar form, yelling, anger dwells in the heart. 
Well, I've always been a person with anger and put it away. Well, I've just always been like that. Well, then you should repent. Put it away. You can't justify it because you've been like that a long time. Get rid of it. Put it away. That's what the Lord says. Then he says in verse 9, seems strange, hopefully it'll be clear when we get there. Do not lie to one another. Where did that come from? Who's lying here? Do not lie to one another. What are we lying about? Who's lying and what are we lying about to one another? Put it away. Stop it. Don't do it. No more. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Since you've been converted, stop your lying. You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. It's been a genuine, radical, supernatural change. Then that should be expressed in truth. Stop lying. And the last verse of this section here, here, right here in this place. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, my introduction is weird, and I don't, maybe I shouldn't do it this way, but it's the way I'm doing it, but um, I'm not bragging or complaining, and I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm trying to relate to the difficulty of my text, and I have to use something that expresses that I at least understand the difficulty. So I'm using this illustration to tell you I know what it means when something's hard to get rid of. So in my life, I'm very disciplined about a lot of things. I'm disciplined about a lot of things. Ask my wife. And, um, but in my life, there's one thing that I'm not disciplined about, and I was not disciplined about for 54 years of my life. And that is what? Now, you may not have guessed it by looking at my physique, but I have a problem with food. I have a great problem with food. And here's my problem with food is I like it. And I eat it all the time. I eat, you couldn't eat worse than what I eat. I mean, I live off cookies and milk. I mean, I, I can inhale cookies and milk. I mean, just bring the food. And I eat lots of food. And the way I deal with this problem I have is I eat and I go run. I eat and I go run. I eat and I go ride. I ride a long ways and I come back and I say, I burnt 2,752 calories, give me a cookie. And so I live this way and so I found a way to justify my gluttony. And so I can keep my weight down where I don't look like one of those fat, lazy Baptist preachers because I'll just go out and sweat enough to keep the pounds off, and that way I can keep doing what I want to do. Now, so because of two texts, Deuteronomy 21, 20 says this. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 20 says, They will say to the elders of his city, This, our son is stubborn, and he's rebellious. He will not obey our voice. Weird pairing of words. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Why do you pair gluttony with drunkard? Why do you pair it that way? And this text is not justifying gluttony. It's illuminating rebellion. Okay. And the other text, Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, 
This is not the part that's supposed to offend you. But Proverbs 23, this is the part that offended me. But Proverbs 23 and verse 20. Solomon says, Be not among drunkards, bad business. Or don't be among the gluttonous eaters of meat. He paired them again. Why? Because the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. In things like this, and knowing the course record of my life, I concluded that I'm a glutton. Now, I never smoked a day in my life, and I've never had to drink alcohol a day in my life. I don't know how hard it is to quit drinking. I don't know how hard it is to quit smoking. I don't have a clue. Let me tell you this, to try to quit eating junk all day like a glutton is the most difficult thing I've ever faced in my entire life. Everywhere I go, I go to a church that's paying $50 for cookies today. It's not easy. It's everywhere, and I like to eat. It's very, very difficult to say no to my flesh because my flesh craves this. All I'm saying is I identify with a guy addicted to nicotine and the guy addicted to alcohol, and I see the struggle and the fight that it takes to be able to say, God, I'm going to be obedient to you, and I'm going to agree with Paul, and I'm going to beat my body unto submission for your glory. I am not going to allow food to control my life anymore. Six months into this thing, and I'm telling you, it was difficult, but I'm also telling you that there's great joy in going through the fight. So I've seen some light, I've seen some hope, I've never felt better in all of my life, so there's reward in fighting through the difficulty. So that's been my personal fight is with this issue of food. And as of today, now tomorrow may be different. As of today, right now, food no longer has control. If we don't, have to, if we don't eat tonight, then we don't eat tonight. I don't really don't even care anymore. That's fine. Now, I may get weak and fall off the wagon or whatever they say. I'm just identifying that I understand when something's hard. Okay, we're all good? Something's really, really hard. You get no sympathy from me. Suck it up and fight the battle. All right. Then, commentators, theologians, and Christians make things difficult sometimes, I think, because they just don't like the simple truth. Put to death sexual immorality. Here's what we say. How? Well, how do I do that? I mean, I can't help it that I have lust. I can't help it that my heart has lust. I can't help it that I, I, I look at the opposite sex sometimes. I, I can't help that. I mean, how do I put that to death? I was thinking about this, and I think we've made this way too hard. So we get commands, and this whole passage has something to do with our view of God and the work of the Spirit who dwells within us. My view of God. Let me give you an example. When I grew up, my dad's not perfect. I'm not a perfect son by any means. But a couple of things I learned. My dad gave commands. There were commands. You need to let that guy in. There are commands 
to do something, and there are commands to not do something. And you love your daddy, and your daddy gives you a command, you just do the command, right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of the way it works. And so my dad says to me, take out the trash. How do I do that? I don't know how to take out trash. That's not what you say to my dad. Are, are we tracking here? Just take out the trash. That dad said take it out. Here's another thing. That's a command to do. Our commands are to stop something. You know, I'm a kid just like any other kid. We're sitting at the table, raking in the food, right? That's what we do. We're eating, right? And my dad says, remove your elbows from the table. You don't look at my dad and say, I don't know how to do that, and I like my elbows on the table, and I really don't want to remove my elbows from the table. That's not how the conversation goes. Dad said, get your elbow off the table. I remember there's a time, I'm a little stubborn, prideful guy. There's a time I said, you know what? You can't tell me what to do. Well, not, not in our generation. In our generation, we've got pansies for parents that don't know how to discipline their own kids. And so they don't know how to do anything. And they just, they say something, the kid says no, and they go into this bargaining for 50 hours and nobody accomplishes nothing. It's the silliest, stupidest thing I've ever seen. I told my dad, I'm not making my elbow off the table. He took the fork and stabbed me. I took my elbow off the table. I never put my elbow back on the table again. It's the way it worked. And so I think about these things, and I think about people in general, and this has worked really well in Mexico, but it works here. It's like when you don't know the one giving the command, then you have no respect for the command. If you don't have the right view of the one giving the command, you're not listening to the command. I don't know, you may not know this, and maybe I'm the only one in the world that does this, but when you go into these uh, shopping places, in the parking lot, they have stop signs in the parking lot. I'm not stopping. We're not on the road. I mean, who gives a rip? It's a Walmart stop sign. Everybody rolls through it. Nobody cares. I don't know who made this law, but it's just dumb. And we get in the car, and we get on the interstate. I know the speed limit's 75, but you know they'll give you five miles an hour over. Who made the law for 75 anyways? We don't care. Our view of the one who made the law is we have no relationship, no love, no respect. So it doesn't matter what they command, we're going to do whatever we want to do. Why? Because we're American. Now, with those type of thoughts in mind, we come to a command that's given by God. We know him, we love him, we respect him. That's the position of the Christian, right? Put to death, therefore, it is fleshly. We live in a culture in which sexuality and immorality are advertised and promoted everywhere. Put it to death. You spend your life wrestling out how to do it. Put it to death. Have nothing more to do with it kill it. It may mean something different for everybody in the room, but whatever it is that is stirring me sexually needs to come to an end. I must put this to death. It's like, if, if everything is being fed to me via my computer, I need to kill this thing. 
If everything's being fed to me through this thing called TV that I'm watching in my own living room, I need to turn it off now. I need to kill this thing and not let a cursing, immoral, sexually perverted device to speak into my heart in my own living room. I've got to put this to death because my commander-in-chief says, put these to death. In the the life of me, in our world today, not only do we not put them to death, we've got churches that are somehow validating and promoting sexual perverted Christianity and claiming that homosexuals are Christians and can lead in the church. Somebody's out of whack. This is to be put to death. It's an abomination to God. And then we have this issue of covetousness. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, the 10th commandment. You shall not covet. What does it mean to covet? To covet. To desire to have something that I do not have. It can be my neighbor's. It can be someone else's. But there's something within me that wants something else. When my desire for this other thing, listen church, when this desire for this other thing becomes greater than my desire for the living God, it is idolatry. That's what it is. I value this so much and I want this so much that God can wait and God can mind his own business because I've got to have this. Idolatry, covetousness, this desire within us. We're expressing from our heart's desire that I am not satisfied with Christ. Christ is not enough. Christ is not sufficient. Christ is not pleasing. I need this. So we want. So we have this desire in every culture, every place in the world, different epochs, different seasons, things go by. But in our culture, in our church, here at By the Word Baptist Church, this is what we covet. Here is our God. This is what we worship. I see it in this church. I see it in pastor conferences. I see it on the airplane. I see it when I walk to the airport. I see it everywhere. Behold your God. This is what I want. This God that we worship and desire above Christ, this God gives us two things that we want more than what God has. What are those two things? Information and entertainment. These are the things I want. I go to a conference and the Word of God is being preached. The Word of God is being sung And pastors can't even sing because their God beeped. Because their God vibrated in their pocket. I can't sing the next line because I've got to answer whatever my God has told me. And I've got to look because to not respond, I mean my God would be mad at me. And then the sermon's going on and God's word is being thundered and truth is being unfolded. But yet I got a text message and an update on Facebook and I have to look at this. And this thing controls everything people do. Distraction, 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 distraction. You come to the church, hey, what's the memory verse? Nobody knows the memory verse. 
because we've had our God speak to us all week long. Nobody knows, nobody meditates upon these things. Why? Because our God keeps calling out, look at me, look at me, look at me. We sit here, weather, 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 weather. Update, update, update. Amber alert, amber alert. Oh no, everybody stop. Amber alert. Oh, there's a storm coming somewhere in over here in West Texas. Oh, let's do this. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Run, hide for cover. Our God has spoken. Over and over, we do this, and then we go out to spend time supposedly with the ones we love. We go out to the restaurant, the wife sits over here, the husband sits over here, and we do this. I go to restaurants, I see it all around the room, everybody's looking at this. You can't even have a conversation together anymore. You can't because our God has spoken. Our God is so important, we'll pay $1,000 for him, we'll pay $50 a month for him, we'll get data plans for him, and there is no way on God's green earth we're going to turn our God off. I got a guy, I sent devotionals. I used to send them all the time. And you know, why do you stop sending devotionals? Because I had some guys getting mad at me. One guy lamb blasted me. I had text messages this long of a guy vehemently angry with me. You know why he was angry with me? Because I get up at 4.30 in the morning, read my Bible and pray. And when I do, I get a devotion. I want to send it to be an encouragement. And he's offended because I keep waking him up. That's my fault. Did I wake you up by sending you a devotional? You can't wake me up sending something. Mine won't ring, and it won't vibrate, and I sure as heck ain't taking it to bed with me. You take this to bed before you take your wife to bed. It's sad tragedy. It's a, everything's controlled here. Can't sleep. Oh, my phone woke me up at 2 in the morning. Not going to happen. But it controls us mandates what we do. You say, well, Pastor, you've done lost your ever-loving mind. That's not true. Is there anybody in the whole room who could turn this off for one day? Is there anybody that could turn it off and say, not today, buddy. My attention is going to be on God today. Whatever happens in the world, God, you take care of it. Because today, this thing is off, and I'm going to focus my attention upon you, upon the memory verse, whatever you have for me. I'm going to focus on conversation. I'm going to focus on encouraging others. I'm going to focus on ministry. And I am not going to be distracted by this God. I don't know if you know this or not. On the side, there's a button. And you hold it down long enough, and the screen will pop up. And you go this way, and it goes off. I also tell you this, you can go into this God and you can tell your God what to do instead of it telling you what to do. At 9 o'clock, this thing goes off. At 6 o'clock, it comes back on. It won't ring or vibrate in those hours. And on Sunday, the entire day, it won't do nothing. It's just a piece of junk. It has no use whatsoever. It's, it's, it's so pathetic, David lost his and his God can't even find his way home. It's stuck in another country. Can't deliver itself. We do it. All the time. Look, I'm a cyclist. whoop de doo I see people get in their car, drive out their driveway. It's only 100 feet. And by the time they get to the end of the driveway, they're texting. I mean, could you please tell me what happened between the time you sat down and the time you got to your mailbox that you had to get back on this thing? I don't understand. You can't even drive across the street without texting. He's like, the phone controls your life. You say, Pastor, that's not true of me. Praise the Lord. 
It should not control your life. No more than food should control my life. No more than drink should control somebody else's life. Or nicotine control somebody else's life. We should not have anything reigning over you. Even here in our own church, we get ready, we get dressed, we put on our makeup, we comb our hair, we put on our suit, we come to church, we walk in the door, and as soon as we walk in the door, we've got to check our God before we can hear from God. And in the midst of hearing from God, we turn him off because the other God speaks and we have to look at what he says. And in that very action, what we're saying is, God, you be quiet. My God is speaking. You don't like that? Get on the airplane. I can give the speech. Stacy can give the speech. She was a stewardess. Turn your phone off. Put it on airplane mode. Ain't nobody listening. You can't tell me to turn my God off. Turn your phone off. Person beside me, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Person beside me, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Person up beside me, text, 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 text. The lady said, turn it off. Put it on airplane mode. I don't care what she said. My God reigns over the stewardess. My God reigns over the airport captain. My God reigns over everybody on the plane. If it makes the whole plane crash, I don't care, but I ain't turning my phone off. You don't believe it? Fly. Go to the airport. See if you can walk down the runway without running over someone. Because half of them are walking like this because they can't look up because they've given all of their worship to their God. It's an epidemic. You say, oh, pastor, you're making so much out of this. You've lost your ever-loving mind. Okay, fine. Do you know the memory verse this month? Have you meditated upon these things? I ask you this. When you wake up in the morning, and then you wake up, and you come out of that little sleep, what's the first thing you're going to do on Monday morning? First thing you're going to do is what? I'm going to grab my phone, and I'm going to check to see what my God has for me. I need my God to tell me what the weather is. I'm not going to read Psalm 107, because if I read Psalm 107, I already know what it says. God's in control of the weather. That's not good enough. My God gives me percentages. And it might do this and it might do that. So I'm going to check with my God before I read Psalm 107 because I'm not really sure if I want to know what God's doing anyways even though he says he's in control of the weather. Now this morning when I preached, I didn't understand why there were no amens. But I understand tonight. Now look, I understand that there are some good things with electronics. I'm not completely stupid. I know they can be used for good purposes. I know that. You know that. It's not all evil in and of itself. The question remains, though, has it become a God in your life? You say, well, I'm not sure. Then you can check. Can you be without it? No. It's a God. Can you turn it off? For an extended period of time. No, it's a God. Can you be satisfied? It's radical. Can you be satisfied sitting down and it quiet and not look at your phone? No, it's a God. It's become that to you. And it controls every aspect of what you're doing. And the information you get and the entertainment you get is gratifying your flesh. But the true God of heaven is saying, put it to death. Kill it. Make something happen that you can get to a position that you control your God, little g, rather than your little g controlling you. 
If you live at that point, then you're free. If you're submitting to the God of heaven, honoring and worshiping him as the primary, and the phone's just something you use for other purposes, praise the Lord. But if you're not there, there needs to be repentance. There's so much problem. Like in our church, distraction, confusion, walking around, unable to track with the sermon. Why? Because you want instant gratification. You want to flip through. You want to be in control. You want to bounce through all these subjects, and you've lost the ability to grab a hold of one thing and meditate upon Him. And because of all of this information world we can't even work with the phone line being our internet now we've got to have fiber optic because we have to have information now this second and i have to have my entertainment without the little circle spinning because i can't wait three seconds for the next word to come out of his mouth and i need my god to beef himself up so we do And not only do we do that, as sad as that is, that we do that ourselves, but it's worse than that. We even pay monthly to make sure that our kids can get internet porn. And we pay for them to have a God in order that we don't have conversation. And we're so pathetic at parenting, not only do we buy it, we send them to their room and tell them to close the door and say, have fun with your God, I just don't want to deal with you. Everywhere. Baby's crying, give him a phone. Kids crying, give him a phone. Give him a phone, give him a phone, give him a phone. It's the only thing that satisfies you. What happened to like Augustine's mother? What happened to Wesley's mother? What happened to mothers who used to give to their children the gospel? What happened to mothers who used to take their kids, grab a hold of them, and weep over them, praying to God for their souls? Oh no, just take this phone and watch something and be quiet. Oh, you want to go on a trip? Don't look at the scenery. Don't look at the stars. Don't look at anything. Just sit in the back of the car. Look at your pad and be amazed at what your electronic God can do for you. Don't worship creation. Don't look at what the great God of heaven has done. Look at what this device can do for you. Grown grown men playing kindergarten games. What's happened to us? Men used to be men. You see, to think of my dad playing Candy Crush? He said, what, what, have you lost your mind? Hey, what is going on with our world? What happened to hard work and devotion to God and love for the Word of God and family and conversation and sitting around a table and looking each other in the eye and talking about our day and enjoying one another's company? We've lost all of that and we've replaced it with an electronic media world that has no relationship between each other. No wonder church is so hard. How in the world are we supposed to be family? How in the world are we supposed to relate and tie together and love like Jesus loved when we're so distracted with information and entertainment everywhere we go. And it's not that the world does it, we do it to ourselves. He's like, I I mean, I just know I can't get away with it. But I'm like, I'm like, no phones are allowed in the sanctuary by the Word Baptist Church. I know I would be fired. You'd kick me out. But it's the right position You want to come to church and play on your phone? Here's an idea. Stay at home and play on it. Here's an idea. 
You want to veg out looking at Facebook? Just stay in the bed in your pajamas. But at church, we should give priority to the God of heaven. We should worship him. We should meditate upon the truths that are preached. We should think through them. And we should respond in a way that honors God. There's more to say. Maybe I've said too much. I don't know. But I'm running out of time, I suppose. But that was just commandment number one. But also, I do, yeah, I'm not going to get everything, but I do want to make some mention of verse 8 because it's also an issue. So moving on from idolatry. By the way, all that that's just preached, you can just throw it all in the trash and continue doing what you're doing. You can do that, but you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow spiritually, and you're never going to experience reviving and refreshing from the Lord as long as you're giving all of this to someone other than him. I'm pretty sure the Bible says this. I don't know the chapter and verse. I don't even know the book, but I will not give my glory to another. I'm not going to fellowship with you if all of your attention is giving to your idol. You're on your own. And then he says, but now, you must put them all away. And then he gives this list of all these things that have to do with speech, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Put all those together in speech, and I'm simply going to scrap all this sermon and give you this one point, because I think it could be helpful if you listen. Addition equals subtraction. Addition equals subtraction. Last week, I'm in Pachote. This is what I added to my life. I added a conference. I added new Christian brothers and sisters. I added prayer. I added 16 sessions of church in four days, five days. I added morning devotions every morning with brothers and sisters in Christ. I added prayer and counsel and laughter, fellowship. I added all these things. And as I watched all that happen through the week, I came to this conclusion I saw it. Nobody got angry. Nobody got angry. Nobody in our conference was slandering people. Nobody was blaspheming. No, no, nobody offered any obscene talk out of their mouth. It was weird. For a whole week, they talked about theology, doctrine, Jesus, family, laughed, cried, we wept together, we rejoiced together. It's like, what happened? We added all of this, and amazingly, these things were gone. By the addition, we experienced subtraction. I'm just a man of anger, and I have all these anger issues. Then why don't you add something to your life? Why don't you add a more healthy dose of the Word of God, a more healthy dose of receiving things that are godly and spiritual, a more healthy dose of fellowship with other brothers in Christ that would hold you accountable, a more healthy dose of prayer and meditating upon the things of God. And if you would add those things somewhere down the journey, I'm going to venture to say that you're going to forget that you had an anger issue. Addition equals subtraction. The third command is do not lie. And this is the epidemic of American Christianity. Do not lie to one another. And then he gives these phrases and things. You put those together. There's, been a, there's a radical conversion. 
If you continue to delve into sexual immorality and validate homosexuality, sodomy, all these things that America validates, you want to continue in that? You want to continue feeding yourself internet porn? You want to continue in that? You want to continue in covetousness and being dissatisfied with Christ? You want to continue in anger and malice and wrath? You're going to continue in that and say that you're Christian, you are lying. Stop lying to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. If you can continue in these things that are listed in this text and you live this way, you're not Christian. You're not Christian. You're lying to yourself. You're lying to your church and you're lying to God. Be honest. If you're saved, be saved. If you're not saved, then say you're not saved, but don't lie to each other anymore. Just be true. Let God be true and every man a liar. This is who I am. This is what I believe. This is the way I'm walking. This is the truth. Be who you claim to be. But to say that in church, which is so many people's problem, is they say all these religious things in church, and tonight they go home and delve in sexual immorality and covetousness and anger and wrath with their wife and with their children, and that's the way they live all week long, and then they come back to church and act spiritual. Stop lying. If that's how you live all week, it's because your heart is corrupt. You haven't been born again. You need Christ. You say, well... I have episodes of that, but that's not my life. I'm repenting. I'm growing. Praise God, because that's what Christians do. The last verse, not a command, but he says, here. Here. What do you mean here? What's the place? The place, I'm calling it the local church of Colossae, where there's been a radical conversion of individuals who have come together. Here. Here where there's genuine conversion. You put off the old self, its practices, you put on the new self, renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator, a bunch of newly recreated people in the image of God together. Here, in this place, where that exists, you have the destruction of four things. You have the destruction of racial barriers, Jew and Greek. You have the destruction of religious barriers. It's not circumcised, and it's not uncircumcised. That's gone. You have the destruction of cultural barriers. Barriers. There's not barbarian, and there's not Scythian. No more. And there's the destruction of social barriers. There's not slave, and there's not free. We've come together in Christ, and we've become one. Now to conclude, go back to the beginning, chapter 3, verse 1. Since you've been raised with Christ, this is what you do. You seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Look what he says. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. Why? Why would we do this? Dear brother, you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, not your supplement, not your addition, 
when Christ, who is your life, appears. That's all I need to know. Then I will appear with him in glory. And I know it comes across, however it comes across, maybe it's supposed to be sarcastic, maybe it's supposed to be joking, maybe it's supposed to be whatever, but I'm just telling you, when he appears and we appear with him in glory, there won't be no phones. And there won't be no internet. And I know you're not going to say it, but some people would think, if there ain't no phone and there ain't no internet, I don't want to go to heaven. If they've got free Wi-Fi in hell, sign me up. You won't say that out loud, but that's the reality of their heart. I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, if you be Christian and you get to heaven, when you behold Christ, you'll never think about your phone again. And I'll add, I'm keep on, but do you understand? For 7,000 plus years, nobody had a phone. 7,000 years satisfied in Christ. And you are no different than those people in Genesis. I'm just telling you that Christ is sufficient for your heart and for your mind. I know things like this get misunderstood. People misunderstand me all the time. I'm not telling you to go outside and run over your phone and destroy it and kill it. I I don't care whether you do or not. If you want me to do it, I'll do it for you. But I don't think you have to do that. I'm just saying you need to deal with the idolatry issue you have because it's sin. You have to repent of it. And you have to ask the Spirit of God who dwells in you to give you the strength to overcome this idolatry you found yourself in tonight. All right. Well, if I'm fired tomorrow, wait till after I get done with my bike ride to let me know because I'd like to enjoy my ride in the morning. Father in heaven, I love you. I love your truth. I love your church. Uh, Lord, sometimes it might not sound that way on things like this, but Lord, I just pray that the people understand the heart of the message and that they would love you more than anything else. That's my prayer, God, is that they would be addicted to Christ. They'd be in love with Christ with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, with everything in them that is. They would seek Christ zealously, not allowing anything to negate the process. God, we need revival. We need a stirring. We need life. We, we need a move of you here. But God, if we're not willing to turn loose of sin, it's not going to happen. God, break our hearts. In the book of Acts, when it was preached, they took all of their idolatrous books and they just burn them. God, whatever it takes, strip us of our flesh that you may be primary in our life. We pray these things by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.